6. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to be at this morning. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning uh, as we're marching through the gospel of Mark and uh, gleaning from the word of God what he has uh, preserved for us, recorded for us, who Jesus is, Jesus' claims, uh, the the record of Jesus' performing of miracles as a means in which we can, all these years later, look into God's will and preserve uh, word and know what God is doing in, in creation. We have his completed revelation here in the Bible. Praise be to God that we have the beginning. We know um, how our origin began. Um, in the beginning, God said, God spoke. And uh Immediately into that story of God's revelation, we find out the reason and the problem that we have that we face in this world, and that is the uh, sin and the consequences of sin, the darkness and evil that abound, uh, both outside the walls of this church in our city, but within our own hearts as well. Um, but praise be to God, He's given us the good news of the the, the gospel, the, the the story of Him saving um, a, a people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How He has sent His Son into the world, uh, His uh, one and only Son became man, came from heaven, took upon the form of a man, lived the law, the right God's righteous standard that only uh, He could live. Uh, because we are full of sin, Jesus was not. He came, he lived perfectly, only to go to the cross and pay for our sin penalty. God is holy and just. He demands that he, uh, that justice be carried out upon sin. If, he, if we're not so, if he could just wink at sin, then he would not be just. But the good news is, is Jesus came and he took that penalty on our account as our substitute. He went to the cross willingly, and the wrath of God was poured out upon him for sin, for all those who will believe, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, a living faith, for all those who hear the gospel message and and actively, by faith, believe and trust in God's gospel of the Jesus Christ alone. So let's go ahead and see what uh, the passage of Scripture has for us. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. The verse 1 begins, He left there and came to his hometown, that's Jesus, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Verse 3, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And so they were offended by him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and his household. And he was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Verse 6, And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the villages 
teaching. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and ask, Father, that your spirit would do a work in our hearts and in our midst, Father, that you would um, use this opportunity as we worship you, as we try to uh, set aside the distractions of life. Uh, God, that you would help us to give us this time, give you, give us your time or give us, uh, give you, give us, (laughs) you would help us, Lord, to be not distracted and that you would, uh, you would allow us to take this time and give it to you as a form of worship. As uh, we look into what your word has for us, God, that your spirit would use it to, to, um, to work in us and to transform us into the image of Jesus. God, we know that this is the, the very spiritual sustenance that you've given us is the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And we're thankful to be able to, to read it today, to study it today. But, but we also recognize, Lord, that without you, without you working in our midst, Lord, it's, it's all for naught. So we just pray that you would do so, that you'd be honored and glorified in all that is said and, and um, proclaimed. May your truth go forth, Lord. And we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. So we have here a contrast of belief. If you've uh, been following along with us the last few weeks, we, we've seen um, Mark giving us this historical narrative of Jesus and his workings uh, in and around uh, the Sea of Galilee. He's hopping, going from city to city, using a boat on the Sea of Galilee to, to, to go to different regions. And, and we see, as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen him do many miraculous things, demonstrating this power and authority. And ultimately, it's a, it's a work that he, is, he was doing as people reached out and accessed him by faith. We saw that um, in the uh, the woman a couple weeks ago who had a, a bleeding issue that she just she just knew if she could just just touch him, she reached out in faith, and Jesus felt um, the his the, the power leave him, and, and he understood that someone, although many people were touching him, this one woman reached reached out in faith, and by doing so, she was healed. And we saw Jairus, um, who Jesus told last week um, in verse 34 of 5, daughter, he said, You're, well, that's, uh, that's the, the woman um, who was a, uh, had the bleeding affliction in verse 34, daughter, he said to you, your faith has saved you. So she reached out and because of her faith, she was saved. And then the, the, um, he goes on to tell Jairus, don't be afraid. In verse 36, only believe his daughter was was sick and had died. People had told him that his daughter had died, and he, Jesus reassured him, "Don't be afraid, but but believe." And so we, Mark has given us this this picture of accessing Jesus and and seeing Jesus working in belief and people placing their faith and trust in Him. It's a it's a a, a faith that is alive. And then in this passage of Scripture, beginning in Mark chapter 6, we see a contrast in belief. We see what it looks like when people do not believe and instead reject Him. It's a contrast. A faith, a believing faith and a live faith versus unbelief. Verse 1, he left there and came to his hometown. So he comes to to Nazarene more uh, more than likely where he grew up. His family was known by the people. 
Uh, they grew up around Jesus, right? Jesus was born as a babe and grew up in a household. And so he comes to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And if we don't know the rest of the story, we might think, wow, Jesus is going to come to his hometown. And he's going to perform all these miracles, demonstrate his authority, teach the gospel, uh, the message of the kingdom to, to these people. And many are just going to come to a, a the saving faith. And, and instead we see the majority of the people become embittered towards him and jealous and envious towards him. When the Sabbath came, he comes to his town, to Nazareth, and he comes and he began to teach in the synagogue, as was the custom for rabbis, visiting, traveling rabbis to come into a town. They were given the opportunity to teach in the, in the synagogue, and so Jesus was able to go there, teach in his local synagogue. And what was their reply? Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? They, they, instead of react in saving and believing faith, they react in unbelief and jealousy towards him. And that's often the case as we go through scriptures. We see the scripture, uh, the narratives being played out in front of us. Um, we often see as someone uh, like the Apostle Paul, for instance, in Acts 17, he'll go into a town and he'll, he'll go to a synagogue and he'll go to the place of, of worship and he'll proclaim the gospel, the good news. And we see different reactions. We see people, some believe and some not believe. And it's not just a, I don't believe I'm going to pass on, but ultimately we see uh, this, this anger often, is the, which seems to be often is the case. Uh, people well up with jealousy or, or bitterness towards the gospel message and react in, in anger, uh, as is the case in Paul's missionary journey that's found in Acts 17. Just to give you an example, uh, Paul goes into uh, Thessalonica, he goes to a Jewish synagogue in verse 1 and he declares the, the gospel. And as usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures. And so the gospel message is a, is a message, right? He, he goes to the, this place of worship and he tries to reason with them out of the word of God how Jesus was, in fact, the, proclaimed the promised Messiah that God had used the prophets in the Old Testament to, to, to prophesy about and to point towards and that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment in that. And Paul would go in after he was converted, after he encountered Jesus in that saving way. He went from a Pharisee of Pharisees, a very religious person, to a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus, and he risked his life on a daily basis to proclaim the good news of Jesus, as is the case here in Acts 17, exploring and proving that it was necessary for Jesus, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. This message that Paul proclaimed in Thessalonica is the same message that we proclaim today, that Jesus is the Messiah. It is in, in him and through him and his sacrifice that we can have eternal life. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. So this message of the gospel is a message that we as as children of God, as his church, are commanded to proclaim to the world outside of us, to the lost world um, not outside the walls of this church. Verse 4, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas including a large number of God-fearing Greeks. And so as he reasoned with them, we see in the, in the narratives that, um, that many believed. 
And I pray that it's, that's, that's, you're the, that's the case for you, that you've heard the gospel message, that you've received and believed and trusted in Christ alone. As these people did, a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But then we see a contrast here of those who did not believe, who rejected the message of the Jesus. But the Jews became jealous and they, were brought to, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. So it wasn't just a rejection of the gospel message. It was a, a reaction and anger. And, um, and Paul would get ultimately beat and scourged and whipped and imprisoned for proclaiming the, the, the gospel message as with a long list of martyrs along the way. And then he goes after Thessalonica, he goes into uh, to Berea. And we see another contrast here in Acts 17. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So they snuck, snuck them out of the town and into a different town. And upon arrival, they, and Paul doesn't take a vacation here. He, he goes, does what? He goes into the synagogue of the Jews. But see the difference here is the people were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Since they received the word with eagerness, Paul's demonstration and reasoning with them, the message of the gospel, he's, he proclaimed, uh, the, the scriptures declared that the, the, the people in Berea were more noble because they, they, they examined what Paul had to say in light of the scriptures. And that's ultimately what we call people to do. Right, examine. I mean, th- this is a truth claim that we're we're saying that eternal life is only found in Christ and His sacrificial work. That is by grace through faith alone that we can have a an eternal life, a promised salvation um, that God has purchased through us for with or for us through Jesus. And ultimately, we are asking people to examine this gospel message, this truth claim. And these folks in Berea examined it in light of the scriptures. And they did it so daily to see if these things were so. And consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. And so this gospel message that we hold dear and true and proclaim every Sunday is the same gospel message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that no man can come to the Father except through Him. In order to access this great salvation that He's purchased for us, that He he did on the cross, we must believe by faith and trust in Him and His accomplished work alone. That we can't add a little bit of our righteousness to what Christ has done. It's not a little bit of Him and a a lot of me, or a a little bit of me and a lot of Him. It is through Christ alone and His righteousness alone. And the access through this salvation, this gift of salvation is given to us through faith. Through placing your trust in Christ alone. As the woman reached out to touch him, she was placing her faith in him. Jesus told Jairus to not be afraid, but to believe. He, earlier on in Mark chapter 5, he told the disciples to, that he rebuked them and corrected them because they had their a lack of faith when the storm came up on the sea. God calls us to trust in him and his promises that he's given us. Specifically, 
trusting in the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. We must believe in him alone. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. If you believe and place your faith and trust in Christ's accomplished work, the promise of Scripture is that you will be given eternal life. But the contrast of that, the, the opposite side of that is, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains upon him. The just judgment for your sin and your inability to keep God's holy and righteous standard will be doled out to you in eternal punishment. And the great white throne judgment that is to come that's found in the book of Revelation. But God has made a way for you to be reconciled and forgiven of your sin. And that is through placing your faith and trust in Christ alone. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains upon him. And we see in Mark chapter 6 this, this contrast of first those who believe and are trusting and pursuing Christ in, in a living faith versus those who have become um, jealous and envious towards what Jesus was doing in their midst. We see the motivation there in Acts 17 for the Jews, right? The Jews became jealous. They were the ones that had the power. They're the ones that had influence. They were the ones that people listened to as far as the teachings of, of God. And here comes this rabbi, this, new, this, this, this guy shows up on the scene, or, and uh, Paul here, and it be, begins to reason with them the, that Jesus is the Messiah. And instead of them humbling themselves and hearing this message, they became jealous. Jealousy is resentment or bitterness or hostility towards someone who has something that you don't. And these people who were used to people looking up to them and used to people coming to them for, for answers. Now we're dealt with this gentleman, Paul, who, who declared that the access through God was not through the law, but through placing their faith and trust in Christ alone. It's the same motivation that we see here in, in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus comes to the synagogue in his local town, in his hometown, and he, he declares, uh, begins to teach the good news of the, of the kingdom. They begin to react in a jealous manner. Isn't this the carpenter? And the title of this slide or this point is the familiarity breeds contempt. Right? They they were they were they grew up with Jesus. They knew his family. They knew all the the issues with the family. And so ultimately, the familiarity with with Jesus's family and Jesus ultimately. Uh, prevents them from seeing who Jesus truly is. Familiarity breeds contempt. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And so they were offended by him. Instead of seeing Jesus for who he is, seeing the wisdom that he's teaching them with, and, and hearing all the miraculous things that he has done, healing the sick, the, leper, the lepers, um, casting demons out of people, instead of bowing the knee and, and, and seeing who Jesus truly is, instead they react with, who does this Jesus think he is? He's just a carpenter. We know his family. And so they were blinded 
familiarity of who Jesus is or Jesus' family. And verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in this hometown among his relatives and in this household. He's, he's, he's ultimately saying a, a well-known proverb of the Jewish people. It's an extra-biblical proverb. It's not, it's not found in Scripture, but it was something that, that we have sayings, common sayings that we say today. And what he's saying is, is a prophet is not, is, does not have honor in his hometown because of familiarity. These, this majority of people there in his hometown were blinded because of the familiarity and because of the inability to see past who they thought Jesus to be, thought his family to be. And ultimately they, were, they rose up in pride. And ultimately Mark's emphasis in the first six chapters that we've been going through is he's, he's trying to demonstrate to us the emphasis, uh, the faith, that faith is needed. That faith in Jesus is necessary. That humility and understanding of who you are uh, in and of yourself and your inability to, to, to meet God's standard and righteousness is a means in which we are then have the ability to access His grace, His, His unmerited gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's those who are humble themselves. As James quotes in uh, James chapter 4, he quotes, quotes, quotes Proverbs 3.34 here. The Lord mocks those who mock. We see these people mocking Jesus. And because of that, because of their, their pride, He keeps them in their pride and blindness. Proverbs 3.34 says, The Lord mocks those who mocks, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to those who recognize the fact that maybe they don't have it all figured out. That they need and understand that their inability to, to keep the law, God's standard, as a means to have a relationship with Him or uh, an ability to, to love as, as God has commanded us to love in and of ourselves is impossible. As we look to the holiness and righteousness of God, we, we are to, to see our need for Jesus, to humble ourselves before a holy and just God. And so Mark is contrasting those who, who understand their need and reaching out by faith versus those who, who are prideful, who are jealous and envious of Jesus' power and authority and his, his wisdom and ability to teach. They become prideful and jealous and envious towards him and therefore are unable to receive this great salvation. And that's ultimately what he says, the result of their unbelief in verses 5 and 6. Jesus was not able to do a miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So their inability, their unbelief prevented him from being able to exercise his, his ability to, to heal and do the miraculous, except there's a few exceptions that we see here. He laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But ultimately we are... are driving to the point, Mark's driving us to the point of this idea and understanding that people must believe and humble themselves in the eyes of a holy God. And look at what he says in verse 6. Mark says, And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. 
he was going around the villages and teaching. He, he called out the gospel. And yet he, was, he preached the gospel, the kingdom of, the, of, the, of, the, of God. And yet he was amazed at their unbelief, their inability to see through what they had preconceived Jesus to be or who, Jesus, who they thought Jesus to be. And so, again, just a good contrast for us. And, and hopefully it drives us, drives for us a, a point of, of our, our, our need to go out and declare the gospel to those around us. Um, and it specifically talks about to those we know or who know us well. Right? I think I'm not the only person that um, would say it's the most difficult people to, to proclaim and witness to uh, the gospel or the people that know me the, the best and the longest. Because right? the same adage fits us today. The familiarity right, breeds contempt. They, they, the people who knew me before I encountered Jesus, right, they have a history of, uh, of me not uh, wishing to follow after holiness or seek righteousness or seek anything that, that um, uh, you know, desired of God. And so when I came to Jesus, I mean, I, I'm sure many of you have that same, the same testimony. And all of a sudden, I, I, Jesus miraculously saved me, and, and the Holy Spirit came and dwelt me. And, and step by step, uh, you know, a couple steps forward, ten steps back. But ultimately, the Spirit is desiring to do good and righteousness and transform me into the image of Jesus. And so my, my zeal to, to let people know about, about Jesus was great when I first got saved. I couldn't wait to tell my family, but... But I had a whole history of not following after God and seeking the things of God that I had to overcome. They were familiar with my past and my previous walk. And that's been a barricade for me to be able to effectively witness to those who knew me before I knew Christ. It's the same understanding of these these people here in Jesus' hometown to be able to effectively see who Jesus was. And we're talking about Jesus, right? The, the, the man who's able to heal. The man who proclaims the, the kingdom of God without tripping over his tongue. Yet, they did not believe. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. And so we come to this with just a few points that we want to try to pull out of this text. We understand our, our, the importance and the command that God has given us to witness to those who know us. All right? He's put our family in our lives for a reason. He's put our neighbors in our lives for a reason. He's put our co-workers in our lives for a reason. And has reason to, to live for Jesus and proclaim the gospel for him. But we also need to come to, to that understanding and that command with that sobering reality that we cannot do it in and of ourselves. And, and I guess the biggest point that I took away from this passage of Scripture is um, although it's a, it's a barrier for us to overcome our familiarity with other people, they know all of our secrets, those that know all of our secrets, although that's a, a barrier to be able to witness to the gospel, ultimately what we're trying to do is point people to Jesus. They need to be saved through the person and righteousness of Jesus and not our own righteousness. People can't be saved by placing their faith in me. 
God commands me to point Jesus to place their faith in, point people to place their faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone. And so our first point of coming and being able to witness to those around us is understanding, look, it's not about me and it's not about how good I can keep God's righteousness. It's the fact is, is I know I fail on a daily basis and that's why I need Jesus because Jesus died for me and took the penalty for me and you need Jesus just as much as I. You need to humble yourself and quit mocking Jesus and come to him and place your faith and trust in him. It is through Jesus and his righteousness, not our own. And so, yeah, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Guess what? You're not a prophet. You don't point, have to point people to your own righteousness. In fact, you need to use your righteousness as the key to, to, to enter into those gospel conversations and say, I know I fail short. I fall short on a daily basis. That's why Jesus had to come and die for me. And he died for you too if you'd only place your faith in him. Our witness to those who know us well, the first point is we need to point people to the righteousness and person of Jesus. And in the midst of life and our daily interactions with people, we need to be able to articulate the gospel message, the why, why Jesus came because of sin and how all of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us need to receive and believe Jesus in order to receive this salvation. And the who, the salvation is through Christ alone. I get so overwhelmed by so many different religions out there saying, this is the means in which you can have peace with God. This is the means in which you can have eternal life. By doing this process, by doing this order of things, by entering into our membership and being baptized under our authority, these are the ways that you can have a relationship with God when the scriptures again and again declare it is not through works of our own righteousness, but through the salvation that is purchased through Christ alone and His salvific work. The who is Jesus. We need to, as a church, all of us individually need to get to a point where we can articulate the gospel message. The church and the leaders of the church, like the pastor and the teachers, are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're not here just to to save everybody or to be the only ones that proclaim the message. No, you are to go out and to proclaim the gospel message to those who know you. We all need to become familiar with the gospel message, the why and the who, so that we can articulate it with the ones we love. We need to pray for them. In Mark chapter 9, we're going to be encountering Mark chapter 9 here in a few weeks. Mark chapter 9 says, uh, is this passage of scripture where we'll hear in in Mark chapter 6, Jesus uh, tells his apostles to go out and begin to proclaim the good news all around him. He begins to to, uh, proliferate the gospel message with using his, his, his apostles. But in Mark chapter 9, there, there's someone, there's the, this person who is demon-possessed, and the apostles cannot cast this demon out. And so they come to Jesus for help. 
And Jesus casts the demon out because he has authority over all things. And they ask him in Mark chapter 9, why, could, why, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus' response in Mark nine twenty nine was, this kind cannot come out by nothing but prayer. And I love that passage of Scripture because I don't know how many times you might have encountered this, but you've come to a realization that you are powerless in a situation. As much as I want my family to be saved, I'm powerless. I cannot do it. It's through the power of God, the power of the gospel. But the one thing I can do is I can pray. God's given me and given us the blessing of approaching the throne of God boldly at any time to bring those that we love before his throne. We can pray for them. We can study the gospel message and practice on ways to articulate it, to be able to give the message as Paul went in and he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Have you taken the time to try to figure out how you can reason with people and give your own testimony of the gospel? The why and the who and the reason and what Jesus has done for you to testify of his goodness and his power of saving you. The fourth point, we need to strive to have a consistent walk. The message of Jesus living through us will have a far-reaching impact over time. And I, this is just practical for me. Because when I first became saved, I had so much zeal to tell my family about Jesus. But they were blinded because of my previous past. And it's only been through the years of trying to walk with Jesus and having a consistent testimony that God's been able to, to, to work through that. To allow my family to see His power working through me and changing me over time. The message of Jesus living through us will have a far-reaching impact over time. It's not just about a one time pithy statement about Jesus or one time conversation no let them see Jesus living in you and through you through the power of the spirit over time that is a tremendous tool to witness to those who know us well and ultimately the last point we need to trust in the power of the gospel it is not enough just to live the gospel it's not enough just to live it out we must share the message. And I know it's awkward and uncomfortable. But we need to beg God for opportunities and open doors for us to be able to share the witness, the gospel message to those we love. We must proclaim it. Not just live it, but we must proclaim it. We must have those times to be able to proclaim the gospel. And Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It is the power of God for salvation. To those, to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And so this passage of Scripture might be comforting for us in some ways because we understand that no matter how much we try and how much we desire for people to hear the gospel message, some will not believe. 
They will remain in their unbelief. But yet some believe. And God has called us to, as His church, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and not be ashamed of it. And ultimately, right, the faith that we've placed in Christ, placing our faith in the gospel message, that same faith needs to be applied as we proclaim it. That we know God is the, the parable of the sower lays out for us. As we proclaim the good news of Jesus, God, and through His power, He will provide the increase. So let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us pray for the people that we know and love. May our witness over time be the tool in which the Spirit uses to demonstrate the power of God through the gospel message. I just have a few things that I wanted to share with you before we close, or why we close here. Um, I have a few things out there in the foyer, just below the monitor there. Uh, These are just little cards that have the gospel message. They're called tracks. You can take some. You can give those out to people. Or you can take them home and you can read through them and try to get an understanding of how you might be able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ better. So this is just a a tool to help you do that or to pass them out. However you want to do that. But ultimately, right, it's the proclamation of the gospel that will save people. And so we have this little card here that shows the gospel. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ is another trifle that you could use. Um, This is called the three circles. This is uh, something that I use quite often. Uh, It's just kind of a way to, you can draw it out, make a visual representation of what the gospel is. Um, These are all resources that are out there underneath the monitor uh, for you to take with you and to pass out or to, 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 um, to be able to study and be able to articulate the gospel message better. And ultimately, uh, we have several of these left. Prayer, right, is probably the most important tool that we have in our tool belt. We have the ability, right, we know God is sovereign and in control, but He uses the means of prayer through God's people to him, for Him to work in creation. He, the means of prayer is the means in which God works in our lives and in the people in the lives of people around us and so if you have a hard time with prayer I just recommend that you take this book there's several of them out there Um, it just helps you with your prayer life to be able to take the book of Psalms and to be able to turn those Psalms into prayers and it's just I've been doing it for the last few weeks and it's just been a tremendous help for me to to kind of get out of my my same old same old prayers and so these are all resources that I, I hope that you would consider taking on your way out the door May uh, God be glorified as we proclaim the good news, to, uh, the gospel to those that, that uh, know us. And um, uh, God's given us the blessing of knowing and uh, given us the opportunity to be able to proclaim the gospel to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to be reminded of uh, the power of the gospel. Uh, God, um, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one under this roof this morning, Lord, that is uh, so grateful for the gospel, that um, you've made a way for us to be reconciled to you, that you've uh, sent your son to die in our place, to take, take, take the penalty of sin and the wrath that we ultimately deserve. He took that for us, God, that we might be um, given eternal life, that we look forward to the great hope of you, or your, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, returning for His church, and uh, the promise of eternal life, um, a new heaven and a new earth, dwelling with you for all of eternity. 
without the consequences and the the fallout of the sin that we're enduring at the